They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. I'm 52 years old. In all my years, I've come to realize lots of things about the world in which I inhabit, but in speaking in particular to the United States of America, land of the thief, home of the slave, I didn't just come to this realization, but it just bothers me a little bit more looking at everything that's going on, whether you're talking about that guy from Chicago who's been talking about his rage, or whatever you want to call it, recklessly on these rough interweb streets for those platforms who are allowing that guy from Chicago to speak and say those things. How do you view them? For the people who are in full internet outrage about some of those things while not stepping up with the same energy. This whole thing is a grift. Everybody's trying to take from everyone else. And it's scary and sad all at the same time. The late George Carlin once said about business, in brief, to when you strip it down, however you want to slice it and dice it at its very base roots, business is one party trying to fuck the other party before the other party fucks them. Sad. Seems true. You would think you would want a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. That's how it's supposed to work out in principle. In actuality, this is the race to see who gets fucked the least. Is the thing that's bothersome. I mean, look at the French national team. They already have Victor Wembanyama, who's definitely going to be the number one pick in the draft next year. Rudy Gobert, both of them, seven feet tall, long, defensive. Like, he's crazy. They've been trying to recruit the Colonel's son, Joel Hans and B from Cameroon to play on their national team. I'm like, word to my man, Jesse Washington, the colonialism never stops. They're trying to steal that too. Let him live. Can that man flourish in this country? Shouts out to the Basketball Africa League. And if you didn't know already, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast where basketball and life are one. This is The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found, including and exclusively at this point at anchor.fm. My man Gray says something to me about the 20th anniversary or the 20th season of the Kardashians being on television and that he wanted to be applauded, much like I do, for never having seen an episode. In some areas, we call what they've done to create their careers cultural vulturing. And a lot of it is. There's a reason for that. America is built on taking. It's built on the notion that you can take something and make it better, allegedly. Well, not worrying about the people who created it in the first place. It feels really Karl Marxian in a way. That corporate fetishism shows an amazing love and respect and admiration for the product that's created or caring less for the labor, the thing that created, the forces that created it in the first place. One of the early OGs of hip-hop journalism 
the late great Greg Tate. He used to write The Village Voice in New York City and also one of the lead writers at Vibe Magazine when it first started. And he wrote this book that on name alone, I was like, I got to read that because it's 100% true. It's called Everything But The Burden. If you have an opportunity, please pick it up. Everything But The Burden. Let me put the last part in parentheses for those who don't get what I'm saying. Everything But The Burden Of, in brackets, Being Black. So you can take all the creation, all the cool stuff about being black, and this has happened from time immemorial. If we want to talk about music from Robert Johnson, John Lee Hooker, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, and the race music they produced to repackaging it and calling it rock and roll for easier consumption in America and putting Elvis on the face of the cereal box. And this is not, again, this is not about dismissing anyone. This is about how America operates. Because it would be silly for me to say that Elvis or Justin Timberlake or Eminem or the Beastie Boys didn't have talent. That would be stupid. But the environment that is created for them to succeed when there are other equally or more talented artists out there who don't look like them, who don't have the same advantages, the same agency, that's America. I deal with it. It happened in boxing. Then they let a black guy fight for it and he wins it. The heavyweight championships of the world is what I'm talking about. The world's greatest title at the time. And that guy was going to be the champion the way he wanted to be, not the way the rules were set up for him to be the champion. He was going to live his life the way he wanted to live his life. And America went out of his way to create laws around his cavorting with white women. He actually married a white woman. And they created a law, the Man Act. It's still on the books. The White Slavery Act, as they called it. Because of Jack Johnson. I'm sorry, John Arthur Johnson. I'd said this in the past that after Jack Johnson was chased around the world, fighting for a living, finally coming back to America, remanded to prison and breaking a law he didn't really break. He got married. He was legal, but they didn't care. This time in Leavenworth, that was it. For the next 30 years, a black man could not fight for the heavyweight title. It's not because there wasn't talent. Clearly there was, but... That's America. Whatever it sells. If you saw the movie The Five Heartbeats, you know, they wanted to change the cover of the album to sell to white people in middle America because seeing black faces on it, oh, no, that's not what we want. We can't sell that. We can sell your style. We can sell your sound. We can sell everything else. We can't sell you. I just saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, the movie adapted from the play by August Wilson. Viola Davis and the late Chadwick Boseman. Incredible. Ma Rainey knew what was coming. The minute she recorded that she would no longer own the essence of her sound, the things she created. The artist formerly known as Cassius Marcellus Clay, he knew the same thing. Even though he was backed by the Louisville group of all white businessmen who wanted to make sure he became the heavyweight champion of the world, and he did with his talent. But once he wanted to be who he was and live how he wanted to be, people separated from him. Again, I'm not making parallels between Ali or Jack Johnson and that guy from Chicago. Just making a point about how corporate interests and fetishizing over those things supersede anything about the labor that created that industry. It happened in basketball. For years, you couldn't have more than two black basketball players on a squad. Then the late, great William Felton Russell showed up, starts winning championships. It's no longer about Bob Cousy and George Mikan who had retired. He saw it coming. Then you got Wilt, then Oscar. And even at the time, the greatest players in the world, if you want to say, look at it, Wilt, Russell, Oscar, 
When they decide to create a logo for the National Basketball Association, Jerry West ends up being the logo. But here's the thing, and this is why I root for Jerry West, too. It's not about him being white. The NBA is the corporation. They don't want to even acknowledge that that's him because they don't want to pay him. Do you realize how rich Jerry West would be? He could buy the NBA. Oh, that's not Jerry West. There's a photo that's clearly Jerry West. Has basketball done its best to find the great white hype since Jerry West? Oh, they did. And Larry Joe Bird. But Larry Joe Bird was so G with it. On Gang, my man was like, yo, why did y'all put this white dude on me? Don't put a white dude on me. Y'all disrespecting my game. He didn't care about that part. He was a ball player. Ever since Larry Bird at the NBA attempted to find someone as the league got blacker and blacker, as you got guys like Alan Azell Iverson, who was like, I'm going to be who I want to be in this world. Either you're going to accept it or not. You're not going to airbrush my tattoos off the front of a game program because it doesn't fit with your corporate identity. People can fetishize over my braids and my style, my headband, my armband, but they can't accept me. That's unacceptable. And again, this is no disrespect to the Dirks and the Lucas and anyone else that the NBA has attempted, the, the Unicorn, the Kristaps Porzingis, any guys that they try to prop up, whether directly or indirectly, or consciously or subconsciously, because they have to cater to a certain audience. They have to speak to corporate sponsorship. Let's speak to those who actually do say, just shut up and dribble. And in my attempt to grow as a person and grow as a human being, because I do that every day, I wake up, as I've said many a time, with a chance and a choice. And I'm looking to be less transactional in the way I look at life and the way I look at things, and the way I interact with people. And sometimes it's difficult because I don't want those relationships because I know who those people are. And I'm not standing in judgment. I just know who they are. And I decided that they didn't have good credit with me. How do you build good credit with human beings? Character. My character has been in question at times. I understand that. I'm doing everything I can to make amends. But there are certain people, like when little kids or animals can sense darkness around them, animals bark at you like in a way, or like little kids run away from you. They sense that darkness. I sense that in people too. But I'm working at doing better. See, I carry the burden of being black, though I don't consider it a burden. But before I go, I want to share the words of Greg Tate so you understand what I mean by the fetishism of the corporate infrastructure. By reading an article, just an intro, in Vibe, shortly after the L.A. riots, and the piece was called The Sound and the Fury. A lifetime of Tarzan and John Wayne teaches us that when the war drums fall silent, the pink man should really begin to know fear. Conventional wisdom would have us believe that hip-hop predicted all but the day and time of the L.A. rebellion. What if hip-hop is not the expression of black folks' rage, but only another momentary containment of it, or worse, an entertaining displacement? During the Gulf conflict, hip-hop's war drums were definitely silent. They went on to the beat of the cash register while F-15s were taking out Baghdad's mothers and children until the break of dawn. The hype of hip-hop is that it is the voice of the oppressed. When in fact, it is only the voice of b-boys, their disenchanted distaff counterparts, and all the b-boy wannabes who like to say, Ho! Though hip-hop demands its critical space at every juncture in the zeitgeist, provoking raw, unfiltered debate in the society like nothing else, too often, the bloods leading the debate lack the capacity for self-criticism or the democratic discourse that is the earmark of all true revolutionaries. 
Sadly, because hip-hop has become the only popular progressive form around, those of us who aren't b-boys spend our time in fighting with the music to make it what it is structurally incapable of becoming, rather than taking its lessons and applying them to other sectors of the struggle. What Los Angeles showed us was not the righteousness of our favorite social critical rappers, but how they brilliantly distanced the face of black rage and rebellion from the demons that cause it. I've yet to hear a rapper say that commodity fetishism is a true god of this nation. As my mother put it, those folks in L.A. weren't looting, they were just shopping. Call it bargain world run amok. Call it recreational exercise and consumer anarchy. In the spiritual and ethical vacuum of late capitalist America, we run to the market and push back the frontiers of existential emptiness with junk data, junk bargains, home shopping networks, and self-help gurus who ask that you love yourself enough just to get rich. When the going gets tough, the anxious look for a Santa Claus to crown king or for an Uncle Adolf, or maybe even, and this is me adding this, an Uncle Donald J. Trump. Cornell West is called rap visionless, but what it is, even at its most progressive, is agendaless. It reacts better than it proposes, and we who feebly wait for hip-hop nationalists to salve our rage and pain, hoping that they will speak with us or for us, are to blame for not developing our own ways to radically speak above the fray. Hip-hop should be an invitation for everyone to break the silence around injustice, has become an invitation to party for the right to demagoguery. As a successful countercultural industry whose style assaults have boosted the profits of the record, radio, junk food, fashion, and electronic industries, hip-hop's work is done. But as the harbinger of black revolution, hip-hop has yet to prove itself capable of inspiring action toward bona fide social change. Now we'll see, like Bob Marley saying, who's the real revolutionary. After all, Real bad boys move in silence. And sometimes they continue on their podcast, much like we will on the other side of this on The Open Run with Will Strickland. Back, giving you more of what you asked for. It's The Open Run with Will Strickland in conversation with my very special guest. That's right, it's me. And I wanted to give shouts out to the great Marshall Bruce Mathers, who just turned 50 this past week. Whether you, and I talked about him in the first quarter, talented dude. I've never listened to a full album, much like I've never watched an episode of the Kardashians. He's talented. They're not. They know how to make money and grift. Cool. At any rate, shouts out to Eminem on his 50th birthday and shouts out to the Champagne Poppy, Wheelchair Jimmy, my man, Aubrey Drake Graham. Lucky to have a brief history with him, the young man before I even knew who he was. I think I've told this story before, but I'm not going to tell it now and do a deep dive on it. But shouts out to him on his 36th birthday. Your favorite rappers, favorite rappers are meeting middle age. Or maybe they're not your favorite rappers, but it doesn't matter because they're icons in the sport. And a young lady who celebrated her 32nd birthday in detention and was recently denied a release from the Russian prison that she's being held in, in the Russian court system. Brittany Griner turned 32. Joe Biden, it's nice to have a conversation. What about some action? I know she broke those laws, but nine years, kind of excessive, no? Make something happen. Free BG, free BG, free BG. In the same vein of someone like Brittany Griner, who was one of the few women who ever dunked in the WNBA, dunked in the NCAA, young lady by the name of Dominique Malonga, from France. Is she a new Victor Wembanyama, Or maybe she's just the new Dominique Malonga. 
there's a video online that is blowing up these rough interweb streets where she catches the ball at the nail at the free throw line extended, does the spin move in toward the basket and dunks so easily. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not talking about like an effort dunk. She's like, oh, on my way past the rim, I'll go ahead and just push it through the rim like this. She's six foot six. She's 16 years old. She's very fluid. It looks like she may be getting better. Yikes. Will that change some of the get off my lawn, women's basketball is boring, dumb dumb to out here talking about women's basketball but don't even watch it? Yeah, you don't matter, I guess. At any rate, shouts out to her and shouts out to Skylar Diggins Smith. Skylar Diggins. For all the people who were saying she was a bad teammate, that she had skipped out on her team at the end of the season, well, there might have been a reason for that, as she just had her second child. So she was playing while she was pregnant, apparently. So congratulations to her and her husband, even though I'm kind of mad, but that's my problem to deal with. Uh, anyway, congratulations to Skylar Diggins-Smith, Skylar Diggins, and to all those people with all the digital shade, simmer down, seckle. That's my man. The artist formerly known as Lawrence Krishna Parker would say. Shout out to former, yes, I said former, Connecticut Sun head coach Kurt Miller, who just took up the head coaching job with the Los Angeles Sparks. There was a Sparks assistant years ago and looking to get them back on track, much like the professional teams under the bus family do from time to time. I watched the miniseries on Hulu called Legacy, which I thought was great. Good look into the behind the scenes machinations of the winningest franchise in NBA history, right next to the Boston Celtics, equal with them, 17 championships apiece. But congrats to Kurt Miller for his move. Congratulations and good luck to Imani Bates, whose charges were dropped. If you recall, he was found in a car that had a loaded weapon with scratched off serial numbers and was suspended from his team, Eastern Michigan University, until this was solved. But he still has to do some sort of probation. I'm like, wait a minute. If he was clear and the charges were dropped, why does he still have some rehabilitation to do? I don't get it. This must have been part of a plea agreement that says, I'm kind of guilty, but I'm not. Make better decisions, young man. You might have to find some new friends. A young man who was also highly ranked and highly touted as a high school phenom. Dior Johnson, University of Pittsburgh. I don't know if he's going to be a star, but... He's a kid who transferred high schools like 10 times in order to get the highest ranking and make sure he's playing on the best team, whatever. And this is enabled by a culture that was born somewhere else. And I'll get into that in a second. But he was just charged with felony assault and detaining this young lady, taking her phone, hitting her allegedly. The rest of the details haven't come out, but he has been suspended from school, suspended from all team functions, and is currently in jail. When you ruin your life before it starts because you feel entitled because of this false internet love. Like some retweets don't pay you like that. Well, I guess they do now with NIL rules, but Dior Johnson will not be seen anytime soon. And hopefully we figure out what's happening with this and again, make better decisions, young men. As I started to castigate, which I'm not trying to do, the mixtape era, because a lot of kids who came up and you saw the best of their highlights. You didn't see the times when they were shooting 8 for 37 in high school. They don't want you to see that. They don't want you to see the stats. They just want you to see the highlights. Taking really bad shots in high school because you can get away with that. But when you get to a better level and all the players you're playing against, for the most part, were the man in their high school, were the All-American somewhere, All-Canadian, All-whatever, then you get exposed. But I recently watched, finally... NYC Point Gods, the 
documentary, executive produced by Kevin Wayne Durant and his company. My man Bobito Garcia was in it prominently talking about the New York point guard from Dick McGuire on to Skid Tamalu, a.k.a. Rafer Alston, who came from what they call streetball. We don't call it streetball. We call it playground basketball. He actually went to college and made it in the pros. I can recall Sam Cassell telling me that every day when they were in Milwaukee together, all Rafer Alston would do was eat, watch film, work out, and beat him down in practice to learn. And when he got his opportunity, he made the most of it. When you watch the mixtape and when you watch these films and the guys from the street say, oh, yeah, yeah, we could have made it in the NBA. But you notice they don't have any discipline. They smoke and drink and sleep all day. It's not the same. There's a man who spends over a million dollars a year on his body at almost 38 to stay in tip-top shape and still be one of the top players in the National Basketball Association. The, the metronome of consistency that he is can't be matched by occasionally getting up after you eat some potato chips and a quarter water to go and play a, a mixtape game where you throw the basketball to somebody's head. No, it's not the same. The mixtape era began with Skip Tamalu, began with N1. And for all the fallen soldiers who've come along that long line, Amani Bates, Dior Johnson, there have been success stories as well. Shouts out to Chet Holmgren, the number two pick in the 2022 NBA draft this year. But beware of false idols and imitation love. It can blind you. Let me jump up my soapbox and let Jim Beheim get on his as they were getting ready for the season. Midnight Madness just passed last week or so. October 15th, I used to look forward to that in university. Dunk contest, the pep rally, everybody coming out, wishing you a, bet, a great season, playing exhibition games, stuff like that. Beheim, before the Big Ten ACC challenge happens, came out and just straight shit on the Big Ten. Said they suck when it counts the most. Okay, they have great regular season records. But in the NCAA tournament, they do nothing. The ACC, well, I mean, he has a reason to say that now, that North Carolina, who's also in the ACC, made it to the NCAA final this past year. They lost to Kansas, but his point is well taken. The Big Ten gets eight, nine teams in the tournament, and then they do next to nothing when it comes time to really win. That's a surface air missile strike, and I can't wait to the first presser during the Big Ten ACC challenge. I wish the Syracuse would go back to the Big East because when the Big East is in the house, oh my God, danger. Shouts out to Dave Gavitt and the beginnings of ESPN. But that's going to be something to see. Speaking of something to see, for the first time in a very long time, since Tyler Hansborough back in 2009, the Consensus National Player of the Year actually went back to college for another year to play. Oscar Shibwe, the big man from the University of Kentucky, was named the unanimous preseason All-American, along with Drew Timmy, who's, I think he's a professional student. He's been at Gonzaga, it seems like, forever. They're the top two players in the country. Consensus All-Americans, how will they do in the NBA? We'll find out next year, but they're going back to try and win a national title. And I'm looking forward to that. And you should be looking forward to more of the open run on the other side of this. You're now listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic into the speaker in conversation with you, the listener. Because I'm here talking, you're listening, hopefully you're interacting with me, as we will have a question of the week later on in the podcast. But let's talk about guys on their first week on the job, the rookies of the National Basketball Association, looking pretty good. I must admit, I am very surprised at the number one pick in the draft. 
I saw him in college. I didn't know if he had that stuff, but I think the summer league stuff with DeJounte Murray told me he had some fire in his gut. I like that. You don't always see that from Duke players in a way that manifests itself into actual play in the NBA. Very few have come out and done that. But Paolo Bancaro done something that only two other players in the last, what, 40 years have done in their rookie debuts? Come out and give you 25, 5, and 5? Yeah. One of them was Grant Henry Hill, also from Duke. And of course, the hashtag, he who shan't be named in his debut. So shouts out to Paolo Bancaro. But also in that same game, when they played the Detroit Pistons, the Orlando Magic did, Jaden Ivey, very solid game. I think he had 19 and 7 this game. Walker Kessler of the surprising Utah Jazz. We'll get into them a little bit later. 12 points and 10 rebounds off the bench. Benedict Matherin, one of the 23 Canadians on NBA rosters this year, a record. Benedict Matherin from Montreal. Just saw a feature on his mom and his sister coming to Indiana. They hadn't seen him in like four years. Made Haitian food for the entire team. And when Ben walked in, he didn't know. It's a good look, but he's playing like he's having Haitian food each and every day. Right now, looking like a front runner for Rookie of the Year with Paolo Bancaro as well. And I'm sure we'll hear more and more from each one of these guys. We're going to keep a rookie watch going uh, each and every week to see how these guys are doing around the league. And as we move on, what in the hell is going on in Charlotte? It's not quite the cocaine circus that Freddie Gibbs so neatly identified in one of his rhymes on the great album Alfredo. thought it was the album of the year in 2020. I do, personally. There is a lot of trouble going on down there. Now, I know that Montrez Herald did not catch his case, the weed charge, in Charlotte, but he was a member of the team. Of course, Miles Bridges, who's not playing right now, under investigation for domestic violence and battery and assault charges right now. They may cost him his bag. James Bootnight, who I thought was going to be a great rookie last year, been caught four times for DUIs in Mecklenburg County there in Charlotte. And two in the last week. He's still playing. He needs help. He doesn't need to play. But hey, who am I to tell you what to do? And when LaMelo ball out, Gordon Hayward sending subliminals out about ready to be traded to L.A. for Russell Westbrook. The sadness around Melo's Thanasis. I'm sorry. Le Melo de France Bowl. And it's Thanasis. Now, when I say it's Thanasis, his brother, Leangelo, a.k.a. Lagello, was waived just recently. And he won't have him on the bench to cheer him on because he wasn't going to really play in the NBA. But it's good to see him back in training camp each and every year. And me, I guess, is... You know, when you're the star of the team, you can get basically what you want. I want to welcome back some guys into the association who have been away, and we need them and their energy in our league. Kawhi Anthony Leonard, Benjamin David Simmons, Zion Latif Williamson, a.k.a. Zion Mike Tyson. When your skills are somewhat primitive, well, he's playing like that right now. Very efficient, like he never left, looked good in his debut game, was injured again, along with... Brandon Ingram, who's out for concussion protocol as he ran into one of his teammates in a recent game uh, against Utah. A hip contusion for Zion Williamson after his shot was blocked from behind by Jordan Clarkson in that same game. I like what the Pelicans have, though, because they competed until the very end. Even without Zion and B.I., the top two players, Christian James McCollum, the president of the National Basketball Players Association, did work down the stretch. Cooking Utah, who's, again, a surprising team. We're going to get into that a little bit later. And they're competing. Even though everyone thought they were going to be in the lottery, going to the full tank mode to get Victor Wembanyama. Shouts out to Will Hardy and what he's doing. I think that was the first game I've ever seen two coaches with the name Will coaching against each other in the NBA. Willie Green, that badass man, doing a great job down there in New Orleans. 
Will Hardy doing a great job in Utah right now, keeping that team together and making sure they compete each and every night. When Zion and when AD get hurt, the Twitter doctors come out. And I'm sure they are out right now about Zion missing all this time and only playing 82 games before this year and now being injured again. What do they have to say now? I have a question, and I don't know if it's serious as cancer, but when Ben Simmons takes shots at critics, does he miss? It's a Zen existential question, I guess. Anyway, let me get off of that and talk about some impressive debuts for guys who are returning into the league. Jonathan Hildred Wall Jr. He looks great. Looks like he never missed a day. And he came at a bargain because the Houston Rockets are paying the salary. So the Clippers are paying the minimum for him. I guarantee you the guys across the hallway, we should have kicked the tires on John Wall when we had the chance. And we did. Christian Wood was in a contract year. Wanted to start, but coming off the bench, this guy in 49 minutes has scored 50 points. And he's looking great playing with Luka as a second star coming off the bench. It has happened before. You can't make an all-star game. Shouts out to my man, Ricky Pierce, Rice University. Go Owls, hootie, hoo. But Christian Wood looking great in Dallas right now, looking like a quality pickup for the Dallas Mavericks, who are playing quite well. Of course, Donovan Mitchell, the big trade of the summer, and paying dividends right away as an early injury to Darius Garland, the all-star point guard from the Cleveland Cavaliers, has pushed Donovan Mitchell to run the point. He's doing a great job, averaging over 30 points and nine assists a night and leading the Cavaliers until their floor leader gets back. Jalen Brunson, 15 assists, no turnovers. The point guard the New York Knickerbockers needed. And they got a big win the other night against Orlando. DeJounte Murray is someone else we want to highlight who is in that backcourt with Trey Young. They had a game just recently where both of them had over 10 assists in the backcourt. DeJounte's averaging 20 and 10. Fitting right in, Nick McMillan, shouts out to you. And shouts out to Trey Young and the rest of that team for falling in line and doing what's necessary to help them win and take the next step. Because this may be the thing. They are a better defensive team with DeJounte Murray on the court. And you look at their defensive numbers right now with DeJounte, DeAndre Hunter, who I noted as a key to the success in Atlanta on our award show, the Do Work Preseason Awards with Ryan Antonio Henry and Clint Capella, who is fighting for his job. But when you're getting 25 points and 20 rebounds between Capella and Nyeka Nkongu off the bench, it's a tough combination. And I like what they're doing in Atlanta. Be on the watch out for them. But two of the teams that are very surprising in the league right now, the Portland Trailblazers, who are still, if I'm not mistaken, undefeated as they shut down the Denver Nuggets last night. Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons was in fuego in the third quarter. He could not miss. Scored 22 points in the third quarter. Wasn't even phased. He's not impressed. Word to holler the Don. He was not impressed and he did work. And Chauncey Billups has his team playing great defense. I'll say it again. The Portland Trailblazers are playing great defense. Mr. Big Shot knows what that's like. The 2004 NBA Finals MVP and one-time champion with the Detroit Pistons. He brought toughness to the West Coast, and I like it a lot. And, of course, the Utah Jazz. I mean, nobody's going. Jordan Clarkson, Kelly Olenek, Mike Conley, what are they going to do but tank? They're one of the undefeated teams in the league earlier. They're still at the top of the list, and we're going to go through our Power 10 in the fourth quarter, when I'm looking around, I think about some of these debuts, some of the people that are coming back, and the people, again, that are talking online about Zion Latif Williamson. What are the criteria that people utilize to designate someone a bust? That's not the question of the week, but that's the question I have, and you guys know my socials. Please reach out to me and let me know what you think. 
what is not a bust, but was allegedly under some money problems just recently. Ice Cube's Big Three League, which is now officially certified. I don't know if there's a like a high council or you have to go up to this Mount Olympus of black officiates to be officially certified as the first black owned sports league. Oh, wait, my phone is ringing. I think it's Rube Foster on line one. You know, Rube Foster from the Negro Leagues who owned the entire league himself as a black man. Guess that's, I guess it wasn't official. What is official, like a referee's whistle, is the open run with Will Strickland because it's not how we start, it's how we finish. So come back for more on the other side of this. Winning time here on the open run with Will Strickland. I want to thank myself for being authentically myself at all times. And now, with that being said, it's on to the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. Peace and blessings and best wishes on the road to recovery. For my brother Dikembe Mutombo, I would say all of his names, but I don't know if I have the ability to do that today uh, in a very serious moment was recently diagnosed with a brain tumor and right now his family is asking for privacy as he battles this scourge and he's one of the great ones not the good guys one of the great ones a humanitarian someone who cares about his homeland and the democratic republic of congo building hospitals and schools just a great humanitarian a great person former opponent of mine in university i think i posted a video of where he came during the NBA Canada series uh, as the ambassador for the league and came by the station to do an interview with me and uh, drop, did a little drop where he talked about he blocked my shot in college, which he did. So, yeah, we had a good time talking, but best of luck to Dikembe. Um, send out some energy for him, please, if you would, and also send out some energy for the two-time NBA dunk champion, Nate Robinson, who just recently revealed that for the past four years, he's been dealing with renal kidney failure and looking to be an advocate to let people know about the dangers and the pitfalls of this. Nate, stay strong, and we hope for the best for you as well. Rest in power shouts go out to referee Tony Brown, who passed away of cancer at 55, and I always wondered why people cared about what specific kind of cancer someone died of. Like, did he die of lymphoma? Did he die of this? Did he die of that? He died of cancer. And that's sad. Rest in power, Tony Brown. Detroit Pistons assistant general manager Rob Murphy has taken a leave of absence from work due to work improprieties and apparently it had been going on for a while and you don't even have to know the news from around the league whether it's Emi Udoka or Robert Sarver like just be better like you're in the workplace and you're doing a whole lot and maybe it's the way we've been conditioned and some people can break that conditioning this ain't good for the Pistons it's not good for Rob Murphy and to whoever he assailed in this case, or didn't. But I mean, if he took a leave, he's more than likely saying he's guilty of this. How do we solve the problem? And I know right now that another problem at a company in Portland, Oregon, is going through Adidas with that guy from Chicago heat. But shout out to Portland's finest by way of Oakland, Damian Lamont Ali Lillard Sr., who just released his Dame 8 certified. And 
He's only charging $95. He set the price point at $95 so they could be affordable. And it reminds me of Stefan Marbury when he did the Starberries and his deal with Dick's Sporting Goods made his shoes like $10 a pop. And kids bought them. Whether you thought they were trash or not, a lot of kids bought them. Akeem Olajuwon made his shoes very cheap when he signed with Spalding, put out a sneaker with Spalding. And Shaq, when he did his own sneaker, you can find them at Walmart's and TJ Maxx is all around the world, but he sold 120 million units. I mean, if you're selling those at $50 a pop, once you do the splits and the taxes, he's still eating. So it's not just about, let me sell the sneaker with the highest price point. Sometimes it's about making sure that you remember where you came from and offer them an opportunity to rock your sneaker and feel a part of the experience of that particular player. So shout out to Dame Lillard. And you know he has a serious bag. He's about to get $60 million a year soon, which is crazy. But he's leading that Portland team right now. They're looking great, as I spoke about earlier with Chauncey Billups, one of the surprise teams in the league. But let's get out of his little bag and get into another because lots of guys around the league earn lots of money this offseason, including Andrew Christian Wiggins, who re-upped with an extension of four years and $109 million in San Francisco with the Warriors, as well as Jordan Poole offers his rookie deal and extension, four years, $140 million. Salute to you guys. Also salute to Kevin Porter Jr. of the Houston Rockets, four years, $82.5 million. And the mercurial Kevin Porter Jr. is being entrusted, not only with this bump in his salary, but also to be the face and one of the faces of the franchise along with Jalen Green. That shows a lot of trust for someone who was bounced out of Cleveland but has a new lease on life like Andy Dufresne down there in H-Town. So get down, my man. Get down. Also, shout out to the whole Inside the NBA crew. Each and every one of them got re-upped. 10-year deals. How often do you see guys sign long-term deals like this? They know it's guaranteed. That's printing money at TNT. They know that. One in particular. One guy who made $43 million during his entire NBA career. One Charles Wade Barkley. Scored a 10-year Almost $200 million deal with TNT after he said he was going to retire. $200 million make you change your mind real quick. Shouts out to Chuck. And shouts out, as I talked about LeBag, to the hashtag he who shan't be named. He and his partner Maverick Carter and the Spring Hill Productions are doing a reboot of House Party, the legendary teen movie led by legendary rappers Kid and Play. The House Party series is coming back in a different way. And I think if you see the trailer, it's really engaging. It's poking fun at the hashtag he himself is doing that. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I would love to. I'm going to talk to my man, Kelly. Kelly Wolf and the Gavin. Shout out to Kelly. I know they're involved in this film somehow. They're going to do a premiere somewhere, maybe in Atlanta. And we're going to talk about how we can get some Tickets to the premiere for people who are listening to the podcast. How about we do that? Yeah, let's do that. Speaking of the hashtag, Forbes released this list of highest paid players in the National Basketball Association. And of course, at the top of the list with $120 million earned last year. The hashtag, 75 million of that in endorsements. Behind him, the chef, Wardell Stephen Curry II, with 93 million, 45 of that in endorsements. And last but not least, Kevin Wayne Durant of the Brooklyn Nets, with $91 million, 48 in endorsements. These guys are doing great things and they're earning lots of money playing a game. Imagine that. Milestones we have to look forward to. DeMar Darnell DeRozan, only 49 points shy of 20,000 points. He'd be the 50th player in NBA history to achieve that milestone. So salute to DeMar. 
Also, Christopher Emmanuel Paul, the first player to ever eclipse 20,000 points and have 11,000 assists. He's third on the assist list. The 37-year-old future Hall of Famer continuing to climb that list. I don't think he's going to pass Jason Frederick Kidd or John Stockton, who was at the top of the list so far away. It's like one of those almost unattainable accomplishments in the league. But there's one that has been held for almost 40. It's about to be broken this season as well. So you never know who could be that person. Not sure. But it won't be Chris Paul. So salute to Chris Paul. And shouts out to the hashtag. Again. 31, 14, and 8 in his debut. And even though they are 0 for this season, the sad part about that for a lot of people is that there are 79 more games to play because they've already buried them and eliminated them from the playoffs after three games. But that's natural when it comes to this man. He's now tied for 10th all time in three-pointers made. A guy who couldn't shoot, now tied for 10th. I guess you have to shoot enough of them though, right? Yeah. He's also on the list for most shots missed in league history. Got that. Sure. You have to take him to miss him, right? But you also have to make him. And he's about to make more than anybody in NBA history. So cry now. Our first power 10 of the season. Of course, the Lakers are not on that. But I'm going to give it up because we're looking forward to this. At number one, the Boston Celtics shook off the Udoka scandal, shaking off everything. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, the most lethal duo in the league right now. I said it. I said it. It's true. At number one, the Golden State Warriors at number two. I mean, they're always going to be in the mix. As long as you have Steph and Clay or some combination of that and Jordan Poole is doing his job and that bench mob is doing their job, number two in the league, the Golden State Warriors. At number three, the Denver Nuggets, who despite losing last night, an impressive win over the Golden State Warriors. And if they can figure out how to keep Michael Porter Jr. on the court and out of foul trouble because he can shoot, he can score, but he couldn't guard a mannequin right now. This guy's terrible defensively or doesn't care enough. And that's going to be the difference between them winning and losing in the West is Michael Porter Jr. and his attention to detail on the defensive end of the floor. And Jamal Murray coming back as some semblance of Jamal Murray pre-injury. At number four, the Milwaukee Bucks, who are entertaining the trade I talked about on the podcast with Ryan Antonio Henry when we were doing the awards show, the Do Work Awards, of one Jay Crowder, who is the modern-day Eric Snow. There is a risk-reward model with Jay Crowder, and it looks like the Bucks are willing to take that risk with Chris Middleton still out and no one actually playing that P.J. Tucker role for that squad. Jay Crowder fits the bill, but who they move for that? With Pat Connaughton out for the next couple of weeks, who they had to fill that role? Could be Jay Crowder, but what do they have to give up, like I said? At number five, the Los Angeles Clippers. Paul George doing work. John Wall, like I said, looking like a guy who's if they still had a Comeback Player of the Year award, and I think right now he's the front runner of the Do Work Awards right now for that accolade, John Wall would be it. And he could end up being the Sixth Man of the Year conversation. The way he's playing right now, I know it's too early, but hey, this is what we have. We speak on that. The Clippers at number five. And number six, the Dallas Mavericks. Luka Lamar, Doncic, that's with two R's, is leading a cast that is seconded by Christian Wood. Now, you wouldn't say, oh yeah, that's a great duo. Christian Wood is... Earning his paper. He knows it's a contract year. He's doing his thing. At number six, the Dallas Mavericks. At number seven, the Memphis Grizzlies. And Demetrius Jamel Morant, you must trust. And without Dylan Brooks, without Jaron Jackson Jr., they're still thriving and doing his thing. He's cooking. I think he's leading the league in scoring right now after what he did to Ben Simmons of the Brooklyn Nets in Memphis last night. Yeah. One again, Memphis Grizzlies look really great. And I like 
the flexibility in their lineup. Shout out to Taylor Jenkins for being able to incorporate a guy like Santi Aldama at the four who can shoot it. Can't really guard anybody, but he can shoot it and he spaces out the floor to give opportunities for more reckless drives to the saucepan for Demetrius Demel Morant. At number eight, the Atlanta Hawks, that backcourt, Ray for Trey Young, DeJounte, I don't know what DeJounte Murray's middle name is. I'm going to find out. Leading the charge there, I like what they're doing in Atlanta, ATL, Shorty. And the two surprising teams, the Utah Jazz at number nine. I may not say that again this year. So embrace the Utah. At number 10, as I've spoken about a couple of times in the podcast today, the Portland Trail Blazers at number 10. I asked the question of the week on these rough interweb streets on Twitter. Yes, I said Twitter, on IG, and on Facebook. And I asked, name 10 players. And I, I posted this. I guess it's not even a question, but name 10 players in league history. You could not tell the story of basketball without mentioning them. It seems pretty difficult for people to do that. We'd love to see your list. You know my socials. Reach out to me and let me know what you think. And who are those 10 players? You cannot mention the history of this game without mentioning them. I talked about John Stockton earlier, one of the seven players before the hashtag entered his 20th season to play that many seasons in the NBA. There are only eight that have done that. At the top of the list, 22 seasons, Vincent Lamar Carter. You have KG, Dirk, the Chief, Kareem, Jamal Crawford, Udonis Haslam, and the hashtag he who shan't be named. 20 years of service to the National Basketball Association. Not everyone is the same. The utility, their function was quite different. But but before we get out of here, I'd like to quote the racist Jack London, who once said the proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. Each one of these men who apply their trade in the association for well over 20 years has used their time. And hopefully you've found value in the time you used with me in listening to the podcast where basketball and life are one. So, until next week, do remember, do what's popular with the population, make sure you don't get beat off the dribble, and keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man, do what you do when you do it. Easy. Easy.